when I think about Jesus dying on the cross for me, what do you say? How do you finish that sentence? Let's pray. Lord God, speak to us now. In the beauty and in the holiness of your presence, Lord. Speak to us now. Amen. I'm going to ask a question this morning that I think some of you might uh, very easily answer. And it's this. Why the cross? Why the cross? The easy and the right answer is so that our sin could be forgiven. Right? That's true. And that's good. But I want to push a little into this question still. Why did it take the cross of Christ for our sin to be forgiven? Why this awful suffering, this death, both physically and in a deeply spiritual way? Why, why is it that, 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 that as we look at that thing that happened, at that thing that captures our imagination today, it needed to take place? Well, we've been going through this story. Many of you will be aware of that if you're new this morning or not normally here. It's, a, it's the big picture of the Bible from, from beginning to end. And the upper story is the story of God and God's plan and God's purposes for us. And today we talk about a critical part of that upper story. You see, God looked down and he saw us and we were in a tough spot as human beings. All of us have inherited a sinful nature from a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. And because of their sin, we have been alienated from God. All of us. And the basic story, it's not the only point, but there's a huge part of the story, is that God wants us back into relationship with him. He just wants us back. So we need to be forgiven to be reconciled to God, but couldn't God just forgive us without the cross? Couldn't God just let that sin that's part of our nature and it's what we do too often, couldn't he just let it go? Couldn't he just pardon us without Jesus suffering and dying? Well, the answer to the question is, is essentially <laughs> because of who God is. One of the things that is absolutely foundational in this scripture is this. God is holy. Do you think about that very much? Think of the Adam and Eve experience and story. Sent out from the garden because of God's holiness. Yes, their sin, but because of the holiness of God, they became sinners so they could no longer be with him anymore. It's the holiness of God ultimately that caused that separation. It's not just at the start of the Bible. It's all the way through the Bible, this concept, and it, it, it comes to us in, at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 4 where the multitudes sing before the throne of God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. It's who God is. What does this holiness means? mean? It, what it means is that God is different from you and me. He is above us. We often think of God as a human being, a really, really, really good human being. But God is not a human being. God is 
holy other, capital W, capital O, he is holy other than us. He is ultimately different than who we are as human beings. We are the created. We are not the creator. We reflect him, but he is so different from us. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 say this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my way, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, that far, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, my friends, we've got to get this into our heads. God does not think like us. And because he doesn't think like us, he doesn't act like us. See, too often we just think of God as a really nice guy who, who, who could just let go of sin, who could just pardon it, who, who could forgive us because he's compassionate and he understands our weakness. You might do that. And I might do that because we're human. But hear me today, my friends, God couldn't do that because he is holy. You see, one of the things about God's holiness is that it causes him to view sin very, very differently than us. Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, the beginning of it says this, Your eyes, speaking of God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. <clears throat> you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. You can't do it, it says. See, God can't look on our sin. Another way of saying is God can't abide with sin. That's why Adam and Eve were sent away. God couldn't be in the presence of sin. He can't tolerate it. He is antithetical in his nature to it, directly opposed to, opposite of this thing called sin. And something about our sin creates a reaction in God. And you don't hear about this very often, but you know what that reaction is? It is anger. And wrath. Wrath is not the same as anger, but wrath includes it. There's something about that reality that just wells up in God because of sin. 29 times in the New Testament that word wrath is used. It's not just an Old Testament concept. After Jesus gave that great verse in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we might know everlasting life, he says he warned the people to flee the coming wrath. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6, wrath comes on those who are disobedient. If you've missed it, go back and find it. Because it's there. Let me read to you Romans chapter 2 verse 5. It says this, because, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. See, God will judge. It will happen. It's because of who he is. God's reaction to sin is strong and it is unrelenting. And I want you to know today he is incapable of dismissing sin. He is incapable of just letting it go, just pardoning people because he wants to. He's incapable of forgiving us without the cross. 
one of the things in our day, because we're human, because we think differently than God, we've come to think very differently about these things, certainly about sin. We don't use words, and if you listen in, in, in the public sphere, you won't hear the word wrong spoken very much anymore. You won't hear the word immoral, or will you, nor will you hear the word moral spoken anymore. You certainly won't hear the word sin. What we hear is that something that was done in a particular instance was inappropriate. Have you heard that word a lot? It doesn't mean it's wrong necessarily, it just doesn't fit the circumstance. It's inappropriate. When we've redefined the problem in a similar fashion, you know, when we think about war and poverty and abuse, what we're told today is that people lack education, or there's poor government, or they, they have an environment which they have grown up in that's not good enough and it formed them the way they were. And so the solution also is presented It's different what the Bible suggests. The solution to our problem is better education or voting in a new government or improving the environment. All those things are right and good in their own place, but none of them touch the core problem which the Bible describes to us, and that is the problem of sin. You see, God saw this dynamic that I'm describing to you, what had taken hold in our lives. And thousands of years ago, he put a plan in place. He couldn't compromise his holiness. So he put a plan in place. He couldn't just pardon it, our sin. He'd have to act. Now what he could have done as was suggested in the days of Noah, and we've spoken to that at the early part of the story, was wipe everybody out and start over again. It wasn't the only place God made such a suggestion. But he didn't do that then, and he doesn't do it now. Do you know why? Because not only is he holy, he is also love. He is also love. See, in the story... Beginning to end, what we see is God's deep, heartfelt, powerful desire to get us back into a relationship with Him. An undying love and commitment to His people. God's holy holiness can't disregard sin, but God's love can't disregard His children. So, listen to me. So, a God of holy love became a human being who led a sinless life and died a sinner's death on a cross in the place of the sinners whom he loved. I'm going to say that again. So God, the God of holy love, became a human being who led a sinless life and died a sinner's death on a cross in the place of the sinners whom he loved. I'm going to read to you from the story, pre page 379. But what happened at that day? It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. For three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemas sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's because God the Father couldn't be in the presence of sin. 
When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That moment, the temple of the... Uh, the, the the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went to the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. It's an epic moment. <laughs> darkened sky, earth shaking, the dead walking out of tombs, the veil which separated human beings from the holy God was torn from top to bottom, giving people access to a holy God that hadn't existed since the day of Adam and Eve. And that day, the righteous one, Jesus, is no longer righteous. He became unrighteous. The Holy One was no longer holy as he took to himself our sin. As God's wrath was poured on him. Listen to me, so that God's love could be poured on us. You see, Jesus took the judgment that day. In Jesus' death, justice was done. In the cross, it was a place where holiness, the holiness of God, collided with the love of God. It's where God himself chose an eternity with us as, an, as opposed to an eternity without us. There, God did what was necessary to get you and me back to him. And he did it through the shed blood of his son. Let me read to you Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 6. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything about the mess we were in. While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved? through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received, say it with me, reconciliation. We can get back into relationship with a holy God. There's a story of a plane crash that took place in October 1987. 155 people were killed. One person survived. Her name was Cecilia. 
She was found walking among the wreckage uh, with not a mark on her when the EMS people arrived, and they literally wondered if she had been on the plane when it crashed. When asked what had happened and why she was so well, she said this, I was sitting with my mother, and when she knew we were going down, she wrapped herself around me and took the full force of the crash. What Jesus did on the cross? He wrapped himself around us and took the full force of the wrath of God. Jesus died a sinner to satisfy the holiness of God so that people like us, we who are sinners, could live. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, By a wonderful exchange, our sin is not ours, but Christ's. And Christ's righteousness is not his, but ours. Do you know that? Reality in your life? Do you believe it if you are his? You see, because of that wonderful exchange, we are given the righteousness of Christ. And now when God looks upon his children, you know what he sees? Holiness. Holiness. what I want to ask you very simply is how do you respond to this reality? What do you do with it? I want to read to you Hebrews chapter three, 2, sorry, verses 2 and 3. It says this, For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation of disobedience received its punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? You see, God has made a way of escape. And every human being born on the planet Earth needs to take hold of that means of salvation and enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and by faith receive him into their lives, find forgiveness of sins, have in that moment the righteousness and the holiness of the living Lord Jesus placed upon them. So that from that moment forward and through eternity, when God looks at that person, you, me, others, he sees not our sin, but he sees the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation. See, there are two responses to everything that I've said to you today, two responses to the death of Jesus, this incredible reality, the central act, including the resurrection of God's plan for humanity. We can either believe it and receive him, or we can ignore it. Biblical truth. I'm not talking my ideas. I'm talking God's ideas. He doesn't think like us. They're in the Bible, and I'm telling you them to the best of my ability. Biblical truth. People who ignore the means of escape, the way of escape, continue to live under the reality of the coming judgment of God. And they need salvation in Jesus. So we believe and we become the righteousness of Christ. We take on his holiness and we remain in that place where technically 
we still have that opportunity to find a means of escape. Very simply, I want to finish today by asking you where you're at in this dynamic. Have you come to know and trust Christ? Have you received him into your life? Has he forgiven your sin? Have you become God's righteousness and his holiness as a result? My friends, I pray no one in this room today will ignore the means of escape that God has provided for us. And if you, to this point, have done so, just bow your head in his presence. I'll give you a minute to do this if you wish. Bow your head in the presence of the holy God of love. And say, Lord, I'm going to take that means of escape. I, I pray, Christ, you'll come into my life. I pray you'll forgive my sin. And in that moment, you will be reconciled to God. He will get you back to himself. This, my friends, is at the heart of the story. It's at the heart of the plan. And it is for you if you're willing to receive it. Let's pray. Gracious God, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for creating the plan. Thank you for looking at us not only from your holiness, but from your love. Thank you that on that day that holiness and love, your holiness and your love collided in the cross as you created, as you produced that way of escape for human beings who had rejected you and who had walked away from you and who had alienated themselves from you. Lord, we take a moment right now for anyone in this church who just wishes to bow their head in your presence and take hold of that way of escape. If that's you, my friends, just in the quietness of your heart, pray this prayer after me. Lord God, I thank you for what you have done in Jesus. I thank you that he took my penalty on the cross. And I thank you that now I can come to you in faith. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Let me walk with you reconciled to God through you for the rest of my days. For what you have done, Jesus, we say thank you today for your love, for your grace, for your offer of salvation. We thank you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to move to communion. Just a few comments as we do so. Um, as always, gluten-free bread, for those of you who feel the need for that. Um, we're going to ask you uh, to come um, by the instructions that are given. There will be an elder in front of each section, offering both the bread and the cup. I'm going to ask you when the time comes, and you will be directed to do so from front to back, to stand up and walk to your right to receive communion and complete the circle by going back to your seat. If you wish to stay seated where you are, unable to come forward uh, or otherwise, an elder will bring the elements to you, and uh, that will be prov provided for you. And when you're finished, just as you come from receiving communion, you're going to be handed a little note. 
we're calling today a message of love. It's being prepared by our prayer team. It's either a verse of scripture about the love of God or a phrase that communicates it. Our hope, our prayer, is that today God will use that message to communicate to you his deep and profound love.